0: Please be seated and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This morning we're going to be in, uh, we'll begin in verse 26 and, uh, and be reading through to the end of the chapter. We're working our way through Genesis, a, a series we've only just started. Uh, I think Nathan may have set the record today for the hardest reading we've had uh, in terms of names to be read. And so, uh, well done. Uh, I would say that I gave him that passage so that I didn't have to, but I'm going to end up having to read those kinds of passages before we're done. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that is, is another reason why we read those in worship and why we believe God gave them to us is to impress upon us the fact that it's true history. These are real places. Uh, this is real work that God has done for his people. And the things that are foreshadowed in that, our salvation, God's deliverance, are as real as the history that, uh, that we read in those pages. And so uh, it, uh, it can seem a little odd to us uh, at times to read the names of so many places that we've never heard of, perhaps never been. Uh, many of which don't even exist anymore, but it's good for us and a means by which God works for us and in us. So, uh, Genesis chapter 1, we've been working our way through. We read the prologue and spent a Sunday there. Then we, uh, last Sunday, looked at the days of creation, covering the days of creation all the way up to the the middle, if you will, of day 6. Uh, we didn't quite finish day six because uh, having on day six filled the land and the seas and the skies with animals, God then turns to create man. And that's what we are going to be focused on this morning is the creation of mankind. And, uh, and so uh, we, what we read this morning describes uh, an ideal. And the reason I say an ideal is because since God did this work, the fall has occurred and the fall has has messed up it's marred and twisted and shattered much of what is good here in this work so we we read about this from this side of the fall uh, that we'll be covering in genesis 3 in just a couple of weeks Uh, and so as we do so there's a sense in which what we read while it's true history uh, while it was true at the time and while some sense of it continues to be true uh, it's not true as it was then. Uh, and actually, this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? It's that God has done what is necessary, and Jesus Christ continues to do what is necessary in order to restore these things to us. And of course, restore them to us in a, in a way that's even greater than they were true for Adam and Eve, because uh, Adam and Eve were capable of falling. Uh, and when we are restored finally, perfectly, and fu- uh, fully to the state that we read about this morning, it will be forever without any possibility of falling away. Uh, and so uh, we're going to take a look at that ideal this morning. What was it that God did in creation? Because it, uh, it's not only true that he did it, but it gives us an insight into where we're going, what it is he's restoring us to, right? Right. So let me pray, and then I'll read our text this morning. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that having created all things, you pronounced them very good. And so we pray this morning as your word is read, that your spirit would be, even as you've promised, at work in the hearts and the minds of your people, that it would be that Holy Spirit at work in the reading and the preaching of your word that would transform us, Father, that would, uh, in fact, be restoring us even this morning to that created purpose, that created identity. Father, we thank you that you're restoring us to it, that fellowship that is ours with you, the God who has given life to all things and restores life to his people. And so, Father, we pray that your, your word would bear fruit this morning, that it would be for our good that it would be for the building up of the kingdom of God in the world, and that it would be for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, And so we come to the end of God's creative work the end of the six days of creation next week We'll take up the opening verses of chapter 3 which talk about the Sabbath and the seventh day uh, In creation, but this morning we're going to be focused here on mankind What is it that we learn about creation and particularly our creation in these verses? Uh, The three things we'll consider this morning are that we are made in his image. We are made in his image that we are given dominion, that God has given us dominion, and that we are utterly dependent. We are utterly dependent upon God. First, that God has made us in His image. We are regents of God in the world, created by God in His image. And of course, there's all kinds of questions about what it means to be created in the image of God, and theologians have wrestled with this over time, but before we even begin to, to try and answer that question, we have to stop and marvel at the fact that God created anything that he could say, of which he could say, this is created in my image. That, that we have been so blessed, uh, that we have, have been uh, by God appointed as the pinnacle of his creation uh, is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous gift from God. Uh, it's worth it. It, it. There's value for us in pressing into this question of what it means for us to be created in the image of God. As I mentioned earlier, we were certainly, because of the fall, that image is twisted. What's often used is the, the image of a mirror, uh, that that uh, the the reflection that we are to be of God and His person and His character is, uh, is like a mirror that's been shattered. Uh, the, the reflection is still there, but... It's, it's marred and it's, it's more difficult to see because of all of the lines running through the mirror from having been shattered. You know, we're made in His image together, both men and women here. Not just men made in the image of God, not just Adam, but men and women together made in the image of God. And so in what sense then? Are we made in the image of God? A lot of ink has been spilled wrestling with how to answer this question. I actually want to ask the, uh, a slightly different question this morning, and that is, to what end have we been created in the image of God? Uh, I'm not trying to dodge the question of how are we made in His image, what does it mean to be made in His image, but I think we actually get to the answer to that question uh, more clearly by beginning with the question, to what end? To what purpose? Why is it that God has told us in His Word that He created us in His image? You know, we're created in the image of God in order to represent God in the world, in nations that are ruled by kings and queens, uh, in history in particular. You don't see this as much today, uh, but it wasn't uncommon for Uh, a king or a queen a ruler to die and for their offspring who are to inherit the throne to be too young and so a regent was placed in control in command of the the country to rule in the place of this child until the child came of age and was able to rule themselves or it might be a a clearer image a better image to remember that there were times when kings would leave Uh, they would go off to war uh, and uh, and while they were gone someone had to be left in Uh, in control of things, to operate the country from day to day. There are daily things that need to be done in order to maintain the country. And so a regent would be left in place of the king or the queen as they they went out. This is what we're we're getting at, what God is getting at in his word here, when when he tells us that we are created in his image. We are placed in the earth to... To work in place, if you will, of God. We'll see it more in the second point this morning when we get to dominion. But God has created all things and has perfect dominion over all things. And yet, He has delegated dominion to us. We are the kings and queens in God's absence, if you will, from the earth. In His place, He has given us this reign and we remember immediately, even as we say that, that that rain, again, it's been twisted, it's been broken, it's not completely destroyed and done away with, but it's not what it ought to be. God made mankind to rule as his regent. And we'll say more about that in a minute when we get to the second point. It's right for us now, however, to pause and consider what an honor and a blessing it is to be the crowning creative act of God. What a privilege it is to have been made for such a purpose. We share with all of the rest of creation our identity as those who are created by God. But we're also set apart from all other creation in that we are created in the image of God. Something that is not true of any of the rest of his creation. And so what do we do with this this morning? First of all, it ought to cause us to praise God and thank him. Uh, I was uh, reminded as I was reading this, everything keeps coming together this morning. Um, I noticed in, in the psalm reading this morning, it closes with the psalmists uh, talking about sleeping and waking up, uh, which is, is actually he's talking about death. He's not talking about resting overnight. Uh, and he says when he awakes, he will be satisfied with God's likeness, uh, which we, we might wrestle with. But I understand to mean you'll be satisfied to be perfectly once again in the likeness of God. He complains in the verses above that the, the wicked seem to have everything, and they not only amass great wealth, but they have many children that they then give that wealth to who carry it into the next generation. The psalmist says, but I will be satisfied with your likeness. Uh, We'll be in Hebrews during Sunday school today. The author of Hebrews quotes liberally from Psalm 8. And so I want to take a look at Psalm 8 today. I'm tempted to read the whole thing. It's not very long, but I, I think I'm just going to focus on those pertinent verses. The entire psalm is the psalmist, David, giving thanks and praise to God for being made in God's image at the pinnacle of creation. He's demonstrating the point that we're trying to to make here, that the very first thing we ought to do with this truth, that we are made in the image of God, is give thanks to Him. Notice the, the Psalm 8 opens, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it closes in verse 9 with the same refrain, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Having opened and closed with this, it's clear that this is a psalm of praise. And in between verse 1 and verse 9, we have the reason that the psalmist is praising God. Look at verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him, listen to this Genesis 1 language, you have given him dominion. Over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And there I've gone and done it and read almost all of Psalm 8, anyways, right? The psalmist is putting on a fantastic display for us, setting the example for us that before any other thing is considered about this truth, we have to stop and praise God. And notice that the psalmist he he puts uh, our creation in context too. He says not just that there's this fact that God created all things and then God said of us that we would be His image, but look at the other things He created. We look to the heavens and we see the sun and the moon and the stars, and God says, "No, you are greater." All of those things serve a purpose. But none of them are in the image of God. We alone were created in the image of God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God is to be praised. What else do we do with this truth? Well, we we also reject the materialistic explanation, the materialistic worldviews that would simply assign us to a place among the animals. When I say materialistic here, I mean from a scientific perspective, that is the denial of anything in existence that is not material. The claim that our culture makes today, that there is only material, there is only substance, there is no spirit, Uh, there are only electrons and neutrons and protons, Uh, cells coming together into organisms, that this is all that exists in the world and that all can be explained through chemistry and biology. As as great as our insight is in the, the common grace of God into how it is that He has constructed the world, how it fits together and how it works, we must not agree with the world that that is all there is. There's much deeper and much greater truth. And we, we are not mere animals that happen to be at the top of the food chain. But there is something substantially, inherently different about us in relationship to the rest of God's creation. And that's not a point of pride. That's a, a point of recognizing God's created order. So much of what's wrong for us in culture today, we've been talking about this, we talked about it last week, is our rejection of the the order God has established in favor of the order we prefer. And that doesn't begin when we get to questions of sexuality. That's the end of a long process of having rejected God's order. A process that begins really right here. By embracing the false religion of materialism in science. Brothers and sisters, we are not mere animals who have simply learned how to talk and have become self-aware. Yes, like the animals, we are created by God. Like the animals, we are, we are told to procreate, to go out into the world and to fill it. Unlike the animals, we are made in the image of God. This tells us that there is something different about us and that we ought to be careful to be taking our cues about what's normal, what is normative from the animal world. We are something different, called to be different, created to be different. What else? Uh, This truth teaches us that uh, we're not simply in a higher station of created order, but by the very language that God intends uh, here to suggest, a familial relationship. We're not merely the highest order of creation, but are made to be like Him. Well, to what end and what purpose? To be like God, not only to represent Him in the world, but to be in fellowship with Him. We have a relationship with God that is unlike any other created thing. Unlike all of the impersonal things he created, we are in fellowship with God. That's how we are created. We have relationship with God. This is intended by this language of image, is that we are like him and therefore in fellowship with him. This is going to be important when we come to Genesis 3 and the serpent begins to lie to Adam and Eve, mixing truth in with the lie, but he's going to use this language that God just knows that you'll be like him if you do this. When in fact, what we see in this language of being created in the image of God is God intended us to be like him from the very beginning. But we were to achieve that likeness, to come into, to grow into that likeness by demonstrating our submission to him, our obedience to to him who created all things. Satan suggests that rather than receiving it from God, we take it by force. So this language of image is going to be important in a couple of weeks. It also returns us to Psalm 8 that we read above in thanksgiving. God has made us to be in relationship with Him. We are sons and daughters. That's the the, the force of the language of being like Him. In fact, Adam and Eve are going to have children later, and those children will be said to to have been made in their image. They are to make children after their image. So that we see Scripture encouraging us here in this language of being made in the image of God. The Scripture is encouraging us to understand that God made us to be His, not mere possessions, but sons and daughters of the Creator, God. Understanding now that that's the force of the language, look at our text this morning. He doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. Look at the, the emphasis here. God said, let us make man in our image, one, after our likeness, twice. He describes dominion there in the rest of 26. In verse 28, God blessed them. How? He blessed them by saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 27, He created man in his own image. Third, in the image of God, He created them. Fourth, male and female, He created them. By implication, a fifth time God expresses to us. Five times here. Four times explicitly God says to us, you're created in my image the emphasis there is placed then on what he means by to be created in his image by being created in his image and that is that we have fellowship with him we are different than the rest of creation we have that dominion and so Finally, a turn to God and his word to discover the purpose of being created in his image and to answer the question, how do I fulfill such a created purpose? That's the last thing I'll mention this morning, that we ought to do with this truth that we're created in the image of God. It ought to cause us then to say, okay, how do I fulfill this? What does it look like to be a son or a daughter? What does it look like to exercise dominion as God has given it here in these verses? It ought to drive us to his word for relationship with him, fellowship with him, understanding of who he is and what he's doing and why we were created. Again, all marred by the fall, as we'll see, but being restored. Praise be to God in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Second, this morning, we are given dominion. We're given dominion. There's a call for us to serve and to submit. It's telling that the emphatic language of being made in God's image transitions directly into the instruction, uh, the intention in the first place and then the instruction in the second instance to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and to have dominion. We see this again in both 26 and 27. God expresses his intention. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. Again, in verse 28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of the earth. God gives dominion to Adam and Eve and by extension to the human race. I think this is why it's, uh, it's so helpful to begin with this question. Why has God made us in his image? To what purpose? It's indicated by the fact that the text goes from that statement directly into a statement of dominion, which the psalmist also does in 8, doesn't he? The psalmist, so concerned to, uh, to praise God because he has placed us at the pinnacle of creation, points out the dominion that's given to us, and admits tellingly, as we have to today, to being, frankly, a bit puzzled. About the fact in light of the fall, in light of our fallenness, our sinfulness, our rebellion, God has given dominion to us. It's vital that we recognize then that our dominion is not inherent to us but is derived from God. We exercise dominion not in our own power, not because we have taken dominion or because we are the ones who have created all thing and therefore inherently have dominion, but God who has dominion gives that dominion to us to execute on his behalf. We exercise dominion on behalf of God. We are therefore God's servants and our dominion is to be in accordance with his commands and consistent with his character. Uh, One of the, uh, I, I can't remember, it's been a long time since I was, A kid and I read the actual book uh, about Robin Hood I do remember the Disney movie uh, about Robin Hood you know where animals play the the various characters and uh, do you remember that the king uh, Richard the Lionheart goes off to war and leaves his uh, if I remember correctly his brother John right in charge and and what is the the conceit if you will of the entire story what's what's at the center of the entire story It is the fact that John is not Richard. He's nothing like Richard. John's a real problem. John doesn't have Richard's character. He's greedy and he's abusive. And at the end of the story, this is only resolved by Richard coming back and taking the throne, right? It's perhaps a a bit of a silly, uh, or if you're my age, heartwarming, Uh, recollection to think back to uh, this Disney movie and this story but again in as much as we're created in the image of God we are his regents in the world how then ought we to exercise dominion we ought to do it according to the character of the one whose dominion has been given to us to exercise We ought to exercise dominion in the world according to the character of God and according to his instructions, not contrary to his character, not in rebellion against his instructions, but consistent with who God is. We must not only be like him, but remember as regents were to point to him. It's our task and calling to be as representatives in the world so that when others look at us, particularly on this side of the fall, what they ought to see in us is Christ's likeness. What they ought to see in us is a reflection of the character of God. This is our calling as those who have dominion. Coming soon again in the narrative is the fall. It looms over us. Those who know the story can feel it coming. Everything will be smudged and fractured and stop working quite right. So when we get to Genesis 3, we're going to discover that so much of what is wrong in the world today is that we refuse to exercise dominion in service to God according to his character and according to his instruction, but rather we seek to exercise dominion according to what we desire, what we believe is right. This is the very... the the very foundation of sin. Rebellion against God particularly in as much as we are given dominion and refuse to exercise it properly. If it's been ruined by the fall and we're not exercising it properly, then what's the the truth in this morning's passage? What's the point in opening up these verses? Are we read only about some wonderful golden age that existed before the fall? And wouldn't it be nice if things were like that again, but they're not, oh well, and move on. But as I said earlier, what we gain from reading the text this morning, from seeing what it is that God has done, why it is that God has done it, we actually begin to see what it is that God is doing because he's promised to restore us to this. So the gospel, the gospel is this story of God who did not abandon us in our rebellion, but has continued the rest of Scripture after beginning in Genesis 3. The rest of Scripture is the story of God delivering us from that fall that we'll read about in Genesis 3, delivering us from our rebellion and restoring us to our proper place in His image. The New Testament knows this. It picks this up. It uses this language, right? What's happening to us who are trusting in Christ, who are repenting of our sins, the theological word that we often use is sanctification, right? And if somebody says, what is sanctification? What do we often say? The simplest explanation is that God is making us look more like Christ. Christ Christ-likeness, we are being restored. Christ, who the New Testament says is the very image of God. We're being restored to Christ's likeness, restored to that image. We will look like Christ when God is done with us. And what does Christ look like? Christ looks like the image of God that was lost at creation has now been restored. It's been restored already in Christ. And we are being restored to it and will be restored to it. The value in these verses this morning is that we get a glimpse of what was lost, but also... A glimpse of what god is restoring to us who we really are those who are with us regularly uh, on sunday mornings know i don't use many pop culture references and now i'm about to use my second one uh, in one morning and so i promise we're not liberalizing here at all saints Uh, but there's there's also a good image of this in the matrix right a movie often referenced in trying to explain reality from a Christian perspective because intentionally or otherwise there's so much of it in that story but you remember at the center of the story is Neo and Neo like everyone else is living in a false world and Ignorant of the falseness of that world. He doesn't actually know who he really is He's ignorant of that truth as well and early on in the movie is the, the process of those who are awake who do know what the world is really like, who do know who they really are and what they are really supposed to be and do in the world, find Neo and they wake him up. They they open his eyes to the truth of what the world is really like. Brothers and sisters, this glimpse that we have back through the fall, had God not revealed it in his word, we would have no idea. There's nothing in our present experience that suggests to us That that's how things ought to be. Our present experience makes it abundantly clear to us that something's wrong. Everybody knows something's wrong. Even those who are not in Christ, even those who reject the Word of God, and who reject Jesus Christ as a Savior, who even reject that they are in need of any salvation, nonetheless know that something's not right. What we have here in Genesis 1 and 2 is God pulling back the the veil that the fall creates between us and the way things were and the way things were supposed to be, splitting that veil and giving us a glimpse into the way they were and how they became the way they are now so that we understand if this is true, if this is how we were, if this is what we were and what we were intended to be and how the world was supposed to work, and if God is putting it back that way then that shows us how it is that we ought to be living today. This is the greater, even the cosmic context for the biblical ethic. Most people are familiar with the fact that the Bible has rules in it. The question is, to what end? Is it just a a, a cosmic game in which you lose points for sinning and you gain points for doing the right thing, some sort of arbitrary list of rules that some God we may or may not believe in has given us. But what we find here in God's Word is that the reason Scripture is full of instruction about how it is that we are to live is because we were created to live in accordance with the character of God. We were made in His image and given dominion to exercise according to His character and His purpose. The rules that we find in Scripture, the descriptions that we find there that say this is who you are and this is how you are to live, it's all about restoring us to that image. It's all about restoring us to that fellowship that we have with Christ, with the Creator God. Brothers and sisters, we don't find in God's Word instruction on how to live, what is right and what is wrong divorced from who God is, or is a part of some false system God has set up that is not in any way attached to reality, that is arbitrary, God gives us this instruction because he made us in his image and gave us dominion to exercise according to his character. And in our rebellion, we have exercised that dominion In rejection of of God and his purpose and his character. And he's calling us back to it. So that what we find in his word are instructions for how to get back to that image. And live according to that image, that character, that purpose and dominion. One day it's going to be accomplished. Finally, perfectly, forever. For those who are in Christ. In the meantime though, he's calling us to it now. And he's empowering us to it by his Holy Spirit. God is at work in us, restoring the image of God and calling us back to the exercise of dominion according to his words. I've given a lot of attention in this point to dominion, but before we go on to the third point, I want to acknowledge the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a command uh, fulfilled both physically and spiritually, and that's why I want to touch on it before we go on this morning. We fulfill this command both by having children physically, but also by proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Uh, This is a, a, a theme that's carried throughout all of Scripture, so that when we get to, for example, Romans 9, and Paul is talking about who are the offspring of Abraham, he denies, in fact, that it's the physical offspring, and says that it is the spiritual offspring of Abraham who will receive the promises of God. You see, the command to fill the earth with more like ourselves is a command to fill the earth with regents, a command to fill the earth with those who are made in the image of God who are worshiping and serving the creator God. And the means, uh, th- this means that there's more to the question, should we have children and how many should we have than just your own desire and plans for the future? That when couples who are of childbearing age Sit down and consider this question they ought also to consider God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth but that is not the only way that we fulfill this command it also means though that those who are unable to have children desire a godly thing a holy thing and it is right for them to press into God seeking for that desire to be fulfilled. It also means that we ought to be eager for new spiritual birth, as eager as we are for the birth of children, for the birth of infants into the world. God gives life in both instances. It's God who blesses us with children, it is God who blesses us with conversion. We play a part in both instances, but it is God who gives and grants. Finally, this morning, we are utterly dependent, and this is a a fairly brief point, but one that shouldn't be denied. God has said, you are created in my image. God has said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, exercise dominion over the earth. And then God has reminded us in this simple truth that as we go out as the image of God to exercise dominion, we do so sustained by him. Look at the text again. It's uh, in verse 29 it says uh, and god said behold i've given you every plant yielding seed on that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth everything that has the breath of life i've given every green plant for food god not only created all things but he sustains all things He has provided in creation an environment in which we may continue to thrive. And he sustains that environment, continuing to provide for us in creation. We know this throughout redemptive history, right? It's God who gives the rain and God who withholds it. We are utterly dependent on him. And so, our dominion is not independent of God but dependent upon him, we continue to look for God, look to God for our needs to be met. We give thanks that he meets our needs and we remember that our dominion is to be exercised in his service, not in service to our own needs and desires and independent of God. So much could be said about the, the text this morning. Uh, a whole series could probably be devoted to answering the question, how do we exercise dominion As image bearers. Uh, We want to begin though by giving thanks to God, praising Him for having created us for this purpose and for the work that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ to restore us to that image and that work of dominion. Brothers and sisters, we belong to God, we serve Him. He's made us for fellowship with Him and He's restored and continues to restore that fellowship to His people. Let's pray.